Hello, welcome to Reading in the Attic, a podcast featuring old and new fiction with a retro feel. My name is Camille LeGuire, and I'm literally reading these stories to you from my attic. So pull up a dusty chair and settle in. This is the second part of Harsh Climate, and I'm not going to recap the last episode for you, but I will quickly remind you of who and where the characters are just now. Vicky, a headstrong young teen, is running away from home, with the help of Clyde, an easygoing guy she insists on calling Denver for some reason. They got lost and ran out of gas. And after Denver finally balked at her plan to hike across a field to a distant farmhouse, they split up. She's hiking. Denver is headed by road. In the meantime, last week we also saw a young boy get kidnapped by a pair of thugs named Sly and CJ. I wonder how that storyline is going to cross paths with Vicky and Denver. Harsh Climate by Camille LeGuire Episode 2 Vicky was sorry that Denver didn't come with her. She'd thought he would. He usually did. But it was too cold to waste time, and if he was going to be so cautious, well, let him waste his own time. He was just like her father anyway. She wanted to tell him to take a chance. Be Denver, not just Clyde. Be cool. Or in this weather, be hot. She trotted across the field faster to warm up. Her boots were heavy as she lifted them over ruts and rocks. But she was used to running in them. They kept her legs in shape for dance. Soon she'd lost sight of the house behind the trees. But she came upon a long wood pile, like a wall of wood. Behind that were some shrubs and outbuildings. And then, as she passed the shrubs, she saw the house again. It was a two-story farmhouse. Not just a cabin, although Denver was right that even farmhouses around here tended to be abandoned or turned into summer homes. She stepped to the side and looked at the driveway. And there was an SUV parked there. Victory! She went straight to the back door and peeked in through the curtains. It was a kitchen, but it seemed empty. The lights were on, though. She knocked. There was no answer. She knocked louder and called out. Still no answer. She waited for a minute, but it was definitely cold to stand out here, and in the country people don't lock their doors, do they? She tried the knob. The door opened. She found herself in an old-fashioned kitchen, with a worn wooden table and a couple of chairs. There was a sack of groceries on the counter, next to the old electric stove. Hello? She called loudly. No answer, but she thought she heard something in the front of the house. Maybe a voice? She stepped into the short hallway that led from the kitchen to the front of the house. She saw a man in the living room dancing. He had earbuds and an MP3 player, and the music was playing loud enough that she could hear it faintly. He was a strange guy to find in the country. A skinny, freckled white kid, but dressed kind of gangsta, with a tattoo on his neck that she couldn't see very well. And he clearly loved his music. He had his eyes closed and he was dancing and she wasn't sure how she was going to get his attention without startling him. She opened her mouth to shout and she heard a toilet flush upstairs in the house. She glanced up, then saw in the hallway near the base of the stairs a door to a small bedroom. 
The door was open, and she could see clearly inside. A little boy lay on the bed. His hands and feet were bound with duct tape, and there was a bag over his head. Vicky froze. Oh, God. Oh, God. Whoever was upstairs was now coming down with a heavy tread on the stairs. Vicky ducked into the bedroom, out of sight of the men in the house. The door was open, and they'd probably notice if she closed it, so she slipped behind it instead. She could see a sliver of the living room through the crack in the door. The guy who'd come down the stairs had a big back. "'Did you say something?' he said. His voice was flat and expressionless. The other guy didn't even hear him. He kept bouncing around. The big guy turned, and now Vicky could see them both through that narrow crack in the door. There was something blank and scary about that big guy, especially in the way he reached out and put a hand on the dancing guy's shoulder. He didn't tap or tug for attention. He just took hold of the shoulder and stopped it from moving. The other guy jumped and then pulled his earbuds off. What? You said something, Sly. Just singing along, man, said the one called Sly. You are one creepy dude, you know that? The big man didn't reply. He let go of Sly's shoulder and turned around. Vicky was sure he was looking straight at her. Did he see her, even through that tiny crack in the door? She didn't think so, because he didn't really keep his eyes on her. But then he started heading in her direction. Vicky froze again, afraid to even breathe. There was something different in the big guy's face. It wasn't expressionless anymore. He looked almost happy, like he was looking forward to something. Vicky clutched the wall behind her and tried not to whimper. He came into the room, but he did not pull the door away to expose her. She couldn't see what he was doing. He got really quiet. She thought she heard a shuffle, like he was sneaking. She wasn't going to wait for him to sneak up on her. If he knew she was there, she might as well get it over with. On the other hand, if he didn't know she was there... She leaned ever so slightly to the side to see around the door. The guy wasn't looking at her. He was standing next to the bed, just staring at the kid. The kid moved a little, as if he were aware the man was there. The man moved closer, leaning in, bringing his face as close as he could get, and just seemed to breathe on the kid. The kid squirmed and made a muffled sound, like he had something over his mouth under the hood. It was so quiet, Vicky heard a distant vzzzt sound, like a cell phone on vibrate. Then the voice of the dancing guy in the living room. Hey, boss, he said, as if answering the phone. The big guy straightened up, suddenly interested in the phone conversation. Vicky waited. Yeah, said Sly. We got things all buttoned up. No problems at all. Okay. He hung up and Vicky heard him come toward the room. She pulled back and watched him through the crack as he stepped up to the door and looked at his companion. He'll be here in a minute, CJ, said Sly. Why don't you not stand over the kid and scare him, okay? If he pees his pants, we all have to live with the smell. CJ, the big creepy one, grunted, and they both went back toward the living room. Vicky let out the breath she'd been holding and watched a moment longer at the crack in the door. Sly untangled his earbuds and grumped at CJ. You think the boss is going to like you screwing with the kid? C.J. turned on him and stepped up close, almost like he had with the kid, except he was looking the other man in the eye. The other man backed away. The boss likes me, said C.J.
Yeah, sure, I'm just saying. CJ moved out of sight, and in a moment Vicky could hear the sound of a TV. The other guy shook his head and put his earbuds back in and headed off to the other corner of the room, also out of sight. There had to be a phone in the kitchen, she thought. If she was lucky, it would be portable and she could call the police from outside the house. She peeked out the door and neither of the men were in view. A very noisy commercial came on the TV and Vicky took that chance to dash back to the kitchen. She looked around. Nothing on any of the counters. Maybe this house was so old it only had a phone in the living room. No, there was a phone on the wall next to the refrigerator. It was an old phone. A dial phone. Well, at least it wouldn't beep when she hit the buttons. She picked up the receiver, which was heavy, and was about to dial 911 when she realized that there was no dial tone. Oh, crap. She hung up again. She couldn't leave that kid in the house with those guys. And from what she'd heard Sly say, another one was coming at any time. She peeked down the hall to the living room. No one was looking her way. She crept back to the kid's room and sneaked around to the other side of the bed so she could duck down fast. The kid knew she was there, and he rolled to face her. Shh, she whispered. It's okay. I'm a friend. She hoped the TV was loud enough to cover the whisper. She reached over and loosened the bag that was over the kid's head and lifted it up. The kid blinked at her, scared and pale. He was a brave kid, though. He wasn't crying, although his eyes were a little bit puffy. His mouth had duct tape over it. Are you okay? she asked. The kid nodded and she leaned to look out the door, and then she pulled the tape loose. Did they hurt you? No, he said. Okay, listen, she said. The phone is dead, so I can't call the police. I'm going to have to get you out of here myself. Denver trudged along the road. The air was cold and dry, but at least the walking did warm him up a little. He wished he had bothered to put on socks yesterday. He wished he had not listened to Vicky. He wished he had filled the car with gas before picking her up. But they had planned on going on the freeway, and the gas station was right there. And since she was going to pay for gas, it only made sense to wait. It wasn't his fault even if he hadn't told her about the gas gauge until it was too late. He'd been too busy trying to be cool and not be too creepy about how he watched her while she drove. He'd heard several cars in the far distance. Sound carried in the cold, crisp air, and they had sounded close, but so far none had come down the road toward him. When he heard the sound of another coming up behind him, he didn't turn around at first. But then it was suddenly right there, he managed to turn around and stick out a thumb, but it roared past him. A dark, fancy sports car with tinted windows. Hey! he shouted, and waved the gas can. The car slowed, but only to turn at the corner ahead. That was the direction Denver was headed, toward the house where Vicky was probably right this very second enjoying a nice hot cup of cocoa. He sighed and imagined that the sports car would spin out into a ditch and Denver would then stop and help them, maybe with a snide remark or two. The man driving the slick little sports car was slick himself. His clothes were slick, his smile was slick. In another era, his hair might have been literally slick with oil, but now it was just perfectly styled with a touch more gel than a businessman might use. He was known only as the boss to his underlings.
No point in taking risks. He'd had so many aliases since he was a child that he wasn't fully sure what his real name was. He liked being called the boss. That's what he was. The boss was in a great mood as he spun his little sports car up the drive. He loved that car, even if he would have to ditch it soon. He pulled up to the farmhouse and got out. He paused to survey the lovely isolation of the place in the dry and chilly air. Then he went inside. His underlings both jumped up to greet him, but he didn't bother to greet them. "'Where's the kid?' he said. "'He's in there, boss,' said Sly, pointing to the little bedroom off the hall. The boss pulled out a ski mask and pulled it over his head as he headed toward the bedroom. As soon as he got there, he saw that something was wrong. The kid's hood was loose and had pulled up to expose most of his face. The tape over the kid's mouth was half off. "'Shit!' he yelled. The others came running. He waved them back and shouted, "'Don't you come in here without a mask on!' They slowed, glanced at each other, and went back to hunt out their masks. While they did, the boss yanked the kid's hood back into place. "'Did he see you?' snapped the boss as CJ and Sly finally came in, their masks in place. They both looked down at their feet. "'Have you been coming in and out all day without masks on?' "'No, boss,' said CJ. "'He had his hood on. "'He had it half off. "'He could have peeked at you.' It wasn't loose a minute ago, said C.J. C.J. was scaring him, said Sly. He probably wiggled it loose. He wasn't wiggling that hard. The boss sat down on the bed next to the kid and gave him a tap on the top of the head to get his attention. The kid jerked like he'd been given an electric shock. You scared, kid, he said. The kid nodded. The boss gave it a second and then pulled the hood up so the kid could see the three scary bad men with masks. The duct tape over the kid's mouth was loose. The boss pulled it off and held it up where the kid could see it. The kid glanced nervously from that to the man. It was itchy, he said in a small voice. Itchy, the boss said. Okay, we'll leave the tape off. I think we can do that. You think so, guys? Sure, boss, said Sly, and C.J. rumbled in agreement. The boss tossed the tape away and cocked his head at the kid, speaking in a soothing voice. But the hood has to stay on, said the boss. You don't want to see our faces, kid. You see us, and you know what happens? Pow! We have to kill you. And you don't want that, right? And we don't want that either, so don't make us do it. The kid swallowed and nodded. He'd made a good impression. The boss got up and took a closer look at the tape on his arms and legs. They were a little warped, like he'd been pulling at them. You've been trying to get loose. No, said the kid, shaking his head. You see, that's a bad idea, kid, said the boss. You're in the middle of nowhere. There's nobody around to help you and no place to hide. As soon as we see you're gone, we'll send CJ after you. The boss paused to put a hand on CJ's shoulder. You know why we call him CJ? He went on. It's short for Creepy Jeff, and he's one creepy guy. Isn't that right, CJ? He does whatever I tell him, only he likes to hurt people. So even if I say just catch him, CJ will probably go too far. Like maybe he brings them back with their arms on crooked or missing an ear or something. You don't want me to tell him to go after you, do you? The kid was scared enough now that he couldn't speak. He just shook his head. 
The boss patted him on the arm and pulled the hood back down over his head and pulled it tight like he was tucking the kid in at bedtime. So be a good kid and don't try to get this hood off and don't try to get loose. Vicky lay under the bed, curled up in a tiny ball against the wall at the top of the bed. She watched the bad guy's feet as they shuffled out of the room. They closed the door behind them. She crawled out and went to the door to listen. The boss was yelling at the other two, berating them for not wearing their masks and for being lazy and careless. Maybe this would work out. They'd all seen that Kevin was still there, and they weren't going to just walk into the room without a mask on which meant they were less likely to do it casually or quickly. Vicky went back to the bed and touched Kevin. He nearly jumped out of his skin. Shh, said Vicky. It's okay. It's me. I don't want to go, whispered Kevin. I can't. I know, I know, she said. If you're scared, you can stay. I'll go get help. What if they come after you? They don't even know I'm here. I'm scared. If they were planning to hurt you, they wouldn't care if you saw their faces. They just want the ransom money. It'll be okay. She paused to listen at the door, but she could no longer hear much more than a murmur. She went back to the window and carefully opened it. No one was outside. She paused at the bed one more time. What's your whole name, so I can tell the police? Kevin Anderson. Okay, Kevin. I've got a friend outside, and I'll tell him to keep an eye on things so don't worry. And with that, she climbed out the window. She paused there to get her bearings. She should probably head for the road and talk to Denver before she went running to find help somewhere else. She crept toward the front of the house to see how much cover she had. She was on the side of the house with the driveway, away from the field she'd crossed to get there. There wasn't much cover here, except for a large culvert that cut diagonally across the next field and behind the shed and woodpile behind the house. It mostly went in the wrong direction, but it would get her to the line of bushes and scrub trees that would get her to the road. She slipped toward the back of the house and the shed when she heard the front door of the house open. She ducked behind the corner of the house and peeked out. The big guy, CJ, was headed for the SUV, and beyond him... Denver was coming up the driveway. She crouched against the side of the house. CJ hadn't seen Denver yet, but he was facing Vicky, so she couldn't just step out and wave a warning. CJ opened the back of the SUV and leaned in to get something. Vicky jumped out from behind the house and waved frantically. Denver was looking at CJ. He didn't even see her. And then, of course, the big man pulled a toolkit out of the SUV, so she had to duck behind the corner of the house again. And then she heard Denver call out. A big, friendly, Hey! No, she thought, no, please. She peeked around the corner and CJ had put down the toolkit and slowly reached into his coat. He was pulling out a gun. She looked around frantically for a rock or something to distract him, but saw nothing. And she needed to do more than distract him. She needed to stop him. There was a tool shed behind the house. Maybe there would be an axe in there. She edged toward the shed, keeping an eye on CJ. Hey, I'm out of gas, began Denver again, but he cut off as soon as he saw the gun. Shit. He dove for the ground as soon as the gun went off. CJ raised the gun again, taking more careful aim as Denver rolled and scrambled into the brush beside the driveway. Vicky took off for the shed, 
wondering if she shouldn't start screaming or throw rocks through windows. But instinct said that she shouldn't draw attention to herself until she could do some real damage in return. And if that big monster hurt Denver, she would chop him to pieces. Denver was just there to give her a ride. He was a nice guy, and here she gets him killed. The gun went off twice more, and Vicky paused at the shed. She could see Denver was still scrambling through some bushes. He didn't look hurt yet, but you never knew. She looked into the shed. It was empty. Completely empty. What the hell are you doing? Vicky wheeled around. It was the boss's voice coming from somewhere in front of the house. He wasn't talking to her. She ducked into the shed and peeked through a crack in the boards. CJ turned to face the boss. We got trouble, he said. He pointed at the gas can in the driveway, and both of them turned to look at it, away from her. Vicky slipped back out and dashed along behind the shed to the other side. She scanned the area where Denver had been heading. It was full of brambles and the remains of a barbed wire fence. And then, on the other side of it, was that deep culvert that ran across the next property. And there was Denver. He was trying to climb through the barbed wire fence, but one pant leg was caught on the wire. He pulled and then glanced over his shoulder. She craned to see what he was looking at. There was a bush in her way, but she could make out C.J. walking toward him, pointing the gun. And then Denver yanked at his leg and his pants ripped. Bang! The gun went off again, and Denver fell over. He just disappeared, right down into the culvert. Got him! shouted C.J. I told you I was going to leave you with a cliffhanger, and I'm sorry about that. It's just that there aren't many places to break in this sequence, and I can only edit so much sound in a week. And I do think the ending of next week's episode will make up for this one. This episode also brings up a subject that all writers struggle with. If you were paying attention, you could probably guess when the story was written. It was written just before every teenager had a cell phone, and just after the introduction of the smartphone. That was about a five-minute period back in 2007, I think. So I guess you could say this is historical fiction. It was the good old days for thriller writers, a time when you could still isolate your hero or heroine and make them scrabble for a way to communicate, but you could also let the villains, and even the heroes sometimes, communicate with many people across distances with ease. And we'll see a little more of that next time. I hope you'll stick around for that. And I hope you're not too worried about Denver. That's it for this week. The story is Harsh Climate by Camille Laguire. It's available in ebook form at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online booksellers. Theme and story music by the Royalty Free Music Company. Until next time, see you in the funny papers. <laughs>